Hello, my name is Andrew Whalen. And I'm Dee Arias. This is Lore of the Week, the podcast where we talk about what's going on in the world and dive into what's popping. This week, we'll be discussing the implications of the record-breaking purchase of Activision Blizzard King by Microsoft Games, as well as arguing about after credit scenes in movies, discussing whether Dee and I have any nostalgia for the bands in the When We Were Young festival, and much more. Let's hop in. Hey, how's it going, Andrew? It's going all right, Dee. How are you doing? Doing well. It's a beautiful day. It's a Saturday afternoon. And uh, the sun's out here in Denver, so I'm loving it. That's right. Yeah, just just took Nell for a long walk, and uh, it's lovely outside for sure. It's warm, but got a nice cool breeze to it as well. Yeah, it's great. For sure. You've been having a good weekend so far? Yeah, pretty good weekend so far. Yeah, busy, busy week at work. Things really started back up in earnest, so it's nice to have a little bit of, you know, downtime after all that, and uh, really been enjoying just kind of like just chilling. How about yourself? Same, same, you know, pretty busy week. But really just having the chance to relax at home, watch some shows, movies, and just kick back and relax. So I've been loving it. Hell yeah. I'm sure we'll get into a little bit of what we've been watching and relaxing with later on. So yeah, can't wait to get into that. Yeah. You get to go ahead and jump into what we, what our first topic today is going to be though. I'd love to. All right. So as uh, longtime viewers and listeners probably know, D and I are both gamers, big time gamers, capital G gamers. So what I want to talk about today is maybe the biggest news in gaming ever, potentially, at least the biggest news as far as the publishing of games goes. And that is, if you are familiar at all, you you heard of it, the acquisition of Activision Blizzard by Microsoft Games, a.k.a. Xbox, although I do I will bring that up later, maybe a.k.a. maybe. Xbox and Microsoft games aren't necessarily going to be the exact same thing for much longer. But anyway, we'll jump into that. That is a $68.7 billion purchase of Activision Blizzard by Microsoft games. The biggest acquisition in gaming history ever. And to be clear, Activision Blizzard is the largest game company in the U.S. and Europe in terms of revenue. So this is massive. Yeah, I mean... Just seeing how Microsoft has been able to just swallow up Activision Blizzard. And then also, what was it like a couple years ago? They took in Bethesda for, I think, around $7 billion, I think that was around. Yep. But then to just make a huge power move like that, if I was Sony, I'd be sweating right now. Uh, yeah, absolutely, man. And I, I definitely want to get into that, too, because I think there's a lot of interesting stuff to talk about around like the whole gaming space right now is really wild. But before we get into that, I do want to talk a little bit about for folks who are maybe not familiar with what's been going on at Activision Blizzard, that place has been a dumpster fire recently. So there's some controversy around this acquisition. So are you familiar with what's been going on at Blizzard at all? Activision Blizzard, I should say. Not entirely from detail to detail, but in terms of headlines, I know that a lot of it has been harassment within the workplace and then just like misconduct and just how a lot of things have been kind of swept under the rug. And obviously with a lot of push with like more workers rights or just better work environments within the past few years a lot of that has been coming to light but it's an absolute shit show on how the company's been handling it and just the mismanagement am i pretty much on the mark there absolutely you're yeah. you're nailing it uh, there's at least two active lawsuits against activision i think there's i think there's maybe uh, more but there's a sexual misconduct lawsuit going on as well as a gender bias lawsuit so it's basically there was a big expose that happened i think sometime last year about the i mean i think you hear frat boy culture a lot 
used to describe businesses that get in trouble for these kind of things. But I read the article, one of the articles, there's a big expose, I think in Kotaku about it when it happened last year. And it was legitimately, it it, it was accurate to describe it as frat boy culture. They were doing wild shit. Like guys were getting drunk in the office and doing, playing some game where they like crawl underneath everyone's cubicles and fuck shit up. And they were having wild parties where they were coming on to the women at the company. There was some really fucked up stuff in there that like a couple of the more higher up management were they had like a room somewhere that they called the Bill Cosby room because it was, I mean, it was, it was rough, man. Like, I don't know if they called it the Cosby room or they had a picture of Bill Cosby in there, but it was, it was after we, we know, we know about Bill Cosby. Like they were, it was straight up like some date rape shit going on and like they seemed to be flaunting it. Wow. I, uh, I don't know how to react to that. That is fucked up. Yeah, it was, it was fucked. So there was kind of a reckoning. But it's still kind of happening and the employees at Activision Blizzard have not, they don't seem to be satisfied with the actions that have been taken. So, and then recently, a lot of this has been focused on their CEO, the Activision Blizzard CEO, Bobby Kotick, who is still the CEO, has been the CEO since 1991, which I don't even know how long Blizzard has been around. He was the Blizzard, to be clear, CEO. I don't know how long he's been around, but... There was a big expose in the Wall Street Journal recently that talked about, so in the last few months or so, under pressure from shareholders, staff, business partners, Activision Blizzard have fired 37 people and disciplined 44 more in relation to allegations of sexual harassment and misconduct. But this Wall Street Journal report showed that the Blizzard CEO, Bobby Kotick, had both hidden known sexual misconduct allegations from the board that were he had known for years as well as in a few instances he had allegations against him i don't know that they were sexual allegations but one in particular in 2006 he apparently threatened to have one of his assistants killed because of she wasn't i I don't know i don't know exactly what the reasoning behind that was but i believe he was on her answering machine recorded telling her he was going to hire someone to kill her so that's bobby kodak He's still in charge. Following that Wall Street Journal report, nearly a fifth of the Activision Blizzard employees, of which there are 10,000, signed a petition for him to resign. But the board and other administrative folks have largely been behind Bobby Kotick. And he has said that he's, oh, I'm trying my best. And if it doesn't seem like I can fix the problems, then I'll resign. He's basically has, has given some lip service to it all and continued to be the CEO. So that's all been happening. Activision Blizzard has been in a lot of hot water. Now enters Microsoft. So the CEO of Microsoft Gaming and the quote-unquote boss of Xbox is a guy named Phil Spencer. Phil Spencer generally a lot more positively viewed in the gaming space. He's kind of made this brand of himself that is combating toxicity in the gaming space as he's kind of made that his brand. I don't know how much a CEO is ever going to be able to truly combat toxicity personally, but <laughs> that's at least what he's been. He's he's tried to make it his brand. He told staff after this big report came out about Blizzard and about Bobby Kotick that he was, quote, disturbed and deeply troubled by the horrific events and actions at Activision Blizzard. And he was also quoted as saying that they were reevaluating their relationship with Activision Blizzard. Well, reevaluating is one way 
to put it, I would say, reevaluating, thinking about maybe, hey, looks like Activision Blizzard might be on sale right now, so let's go buy them up, which is exactly what is happening. So any thoughts before I continue? Yeah, I mean, I just think that is like so boss of Microsoft to just like put that statement out like, oh, we're going to reevaluate our position and our engagement. And then behind the scenes are just like, go buy the fuckers. Yeah. I mean, I hope that Microsoft would do the right thing, at least with cleaning house and making sure to cut every loose end of making sure to like wipe out any of the like despicable upper management or upper executives out of like Activision Blizzard. I'm a little skeptical just with how business typically goes, but seeing as how Phil Spencer has kind of been like this kind of chill guru essence, like in the gaming industry within the past few years, I mean, this will be a really big moment to kind of just see exactly if Microsoft can really actually like really practice what they preach with promoting like positive and safe work environments and stuff. So those are kind of like my initial reactions with that. But yeah, I mean, Jesus, what a what a business move. (laughs) Yeah, it's definitely some corporate espionage seeming stuff and i think that's i appreciate that more optimistic take on the way things will go and and he has said so after all this went down he's kind of not said as much about what's been going on at blizzard but i believe he said something along the lines of they're looking forward to extending their culture of proactive inclusion into activision blizzard so i'm sure they're going to clean up kind of what's been going on there like they're not going to let it continue to operate it as it had been operating but it feels more like a PR thing than it does. Like, I don't know if the actual victims will get true restitution from all this. And I also think there was some efforts to unionize employees in Activision Blizzard. And I don't think Microsoft will let that happen. They probably wouldn't. Yeah. No. Yeah. I mean, I guess where I have a little bit more optimism with it is Microsoft. And also, I think Spencer has like gone on record to note their relationships with past studios that they've worked with and essentially taking all of the control and not allowing like studios to just do their own thing and how they kind of have fucked up those relationships and in turn like studios have either closed or games have just completely flopped and owning that that really was not the best approach and that going forward as they're creating like this new era of games especially with next gen systems or just in general to the whole like microsoft ecosystem that they really want to try to encourage better, positive, more creative-led efforts with studios with very hands-off approach. And so when I see a comment like that from like a company as big as Microsoft, obviously we'll have to see if they're going to hold true to their word. But I do think that actually shows a little bit of accountability to showing that they're reflecting and they're at least growing in their practices. Yeah. I, at the end of the day, we're still talking about corporations. So like, fuck them. But like at the same time, like, that's kind of positive, though, right? Yeah. Uh, Considering how toxic the gaming industry is. Oh, yeah. To be, to be real. It's extremely toxic. And, and that's true. Someone needs to fix it. But it, my opinions on it are all flavored by or, or tainted by the, the idea that, like, this is a huge, essentially, monopolization, right? Microsoft now owns so many. And, I, and we'll get to that a little bit in a second. We talk about like how this is going to affect the gaming space more specifically, but this is equivalent to me of Disney buying Fox where it's like, oh, hell yeah. Now the X-Men can be in the MCU, but on the flip side, Disney is now controls like a third of the entertainment in the world or something like that. You know, it's, it's concerning to me. And on again, like on a more granular level, Blizzard, Activision Blizzard has been this 
focal point of a lot of this toxicity. And I do think that Microsoft will probably clean that up to a degree. But again, like to me, it's a more cynical kind of they're cleaning it up for PR sake. They're cleaning it up because they want to be seen as a positive brand. And I don't know. I'm just not in the business of patting brands on the back for any reason whatsoever. So, yeah, I don't know. Mixed feelings. I appreciate the optimism. I do think this will probably positively affect the lives of some developers, which is there's something to be said for that. No, hey, I, and what, what you just all note is like so on point and true. It is really concerning to see exactly just how much Microsoft has like a monopoly on just all of the video games and the content going forward. At the end of the day, that's their action that they did. But I can't help but think, did we come down this path because of like the way that Sony played hardball? Yeah. We're here because we really couldn't try to like work past exclusivity on like video game deals, cross play. And it kind of has just gotten here because it's been console against console and it's been like Nothing that's really been like actually service to the fans to try to like make games like more easy to access. And I just think it's just something as like brands have just or not brands, corporations have been just battling this out that this was going to be inevitable eventually. Yeah, I do think that Microsoft is fundamentally changing the gaming space with this. And we I mean, this is just part of the greater trend of the console wars might be over because what we'll see moving forward is going to be something different, not necessarily that it's that oh microsoft is winning and it's you know whatever but it's not going to be about consoles anymore it's already not about consoles anymore i do want to touch on one thing before we get into that because i have so many thoughts about that what happens to bobby kotick now again bobby kotick the super toxic activision blizzard ceo who everyone's like please quit get out, get rid of this guy he's been actively covering this shit up and being kind of an asshole himself he is likely going to stay on as the CEO at least until July of 2023 when the deal is slated to officially go through at which point he will likely exit and receive his $300 million severance package as his contract allots. So once again, we see this, uh, the toxic CEO will ride off into the sunset in his golden parachute and no lessons will be learned. So that's a bit of a bummer. Fuck that dude. That's that's all I can say. Yeah, you can get fucked. Yeah. Yeah. We can agree on that. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So that negativity aside, let's talk about what this means for the future of gaming. And specifically, so we've talked a little bit about Game Pass before on this show. Uh, just as a as a refresher for anyone who's not super in the gaming space, Game Pass is a service that Microsoft offers that is a subscription service, somewhat similar to like you could think of it like a Netflix for gaming, where you pay 10 to 15, I think there's two tiers, 10 to $15 a month to have access to just a shitload of games. And they've done some really cool things with surfacing some older games, like pretty much all old Microsoft or Xbox games are available on there, going back like multiple generations of consoles. And they've also had a huge push for a lot of new releases. So Halo Infinite that just came out like last month, was day one the multiplayer was on game pass i don't know if the single player was on game pass as well but it's a pretty wild service you can get it both on xbox's new consoles their last generation of consoles as well as pcs and there's also like a mobile access version of it i don't know if it's directly on it might be on like literally mobile phones but it's like anything that's connected to 
the cloud can run these like cloud game versions of things on game pass so it is multi-platform it's a pretty interesting service so what does this mean for game pass because also to back up a little bit they've been i think you mentioned a little while ago they bought zenimax which was the parent company of bethesda who are the publishers of games like skyrim and all the other elder scrolls games the fallout games and some other things so that was their previous huge acquisition for 7.5 billion xbox game studios now owns 30 internal studios and they have access to some of the biggest franchises in the world i just mentioned elder scrolls and fallout they already had the minecraft studio which is i think the number one most selling game ever and now they've they'll have activision blizzard which gives them access to call of duty world of warcraft overwatch it's actually worth mentioning too it's not just activision blizzard it's activision blizzard king king is a huge mobile developer that makes games like candy crush so they now own candy crush and some other things where they will own so i don't know this is wild so what are your thoughts d i guess where i'm really thinking is how many of these titles are actually going to be exclusive like for instance call of duty like is an ip that big going to be just strictly microsoft like either pc or xbox exclusive or is that something that because it's such a cash cow like they actually will keep it open to all platforms so you're also seeing it across like sony so there's a lot of questions around i think like what titles are going to be exclusive and then what other ones are still also going to be shared amongst others and just to be clear just because the acquisition happened a lot of titles for at least the next several years to come um there's still a lot of deals set in place for like sony exclusive titles or just for it to be shared amongst multiple platforms so this is going to be a bit of a slow burn to kind of see exactly how this is all going to pan out especially with like microsoft's like rollout or decision making around the ip so i feel like i have more questions uh than probably actual like thoughts on the actual acquisition itself but more so thinking about what this means one for all the titles and ips that microsoft has but then also just how big is game pass actually going to get and i now know that sony is actually there's rumors that there's development of a copycat game pass type system but that that's going to take forever for them to kind of get off the ground because microsoft had the benefit of slowly building up the catalog because in the early days game pass was not an attractive package at all but as they've started to wrap in more and more of their own titles it's something that was like wow this is actually too good to pass up and i just feel like right now microsoft just has like such a leg up that it is going to be everywhere left and right yeah if you're someone who follows a quote-unquote console wars whatever the last generation Sony absolutely blew Xbox out of the water. So PlayStation 4 versus the Xbox One. PlayStation and Sony were miles ahead in terms of sales. So I think what's interesting is that kind of gave Microsoft and Xbox the opportunity to kind of... Because Sony is like, they just kind of marched into this new generation like, oh, we're going to keep doing what we've been doing because we're Sony and we're winning. Meanwhile, Microsoft is like, we got to get smart. We got to think about something different. And that's where it seems like this Game Pass ideas come from, where instead of trying to beat Sony at their own game, where they have all these high profile IPs that they own and they're selling their hardware and, you know, giving you these these interesting, huge AAA single player experiences, they came up with Game Pass, which was, to your point, became this super attractive economical choice for particularly casual gamers 
And then as they got a larger and larger user base, they then were able to leverage that and the profits from that into, and also I should mention, they have a huge amount of money from the greater Microsoft, parent Microsoft, I think gave them $150 million, or excuse me, $150 billion to just have and use to develop Microsoft gaming, which they just blew almost half of that on Activision Blizzard, but I'd say that was a hell of a purchase. But yeah, so they, they had this interesting place in the market where they were able to build that base on Game Pass, and then they bought a ton of IP, so now they can challenge Sony with that. So it's like, there's really, there's two ways of looking at it for me. Either A, they could use this as kind of the nail in the coffin against Sony, especially considering how hard it is to get even a PlayStation 5 right now compared to Xbox Game Pass, which like you can play on your computer or you can play on your old Xbox, whatever. They could use that to leverage against Sony. Or what is potentially the more interesting concept to me is they can use this to force Sony's hand into allowing them to put Xbox Game Pass on PlayStation platforms, which that would be a wild step. But honestly, the way they've been acting, it seems like that might be what they're going to try to do because now they have Call of Duty. If they leverage that against Sony, they're like, hey, we're not going to give you Call of Duty. We're not going to publish Call of Duty on Sony platforms unless you let us put Xbox Game Pass on there. And then it's also got as a side thing it's like it's kind of good for sony as well because then they have that as a selling point for their platform where you can play the xbox backlog there which and that's why i say this could be the end of the console wars because we could see these platforms start to integrate even further but that also is like damn then what happens is this a disney situation where it's like oh hell yeah now we get more shit in the mcu but now there's this huge corporation that's in my opinion, inherently evil, like that has control over the entire gaming industry, potentially. What does that do? That's very anti, that seems like it could end up being anti-consumer, but on the face of it, Game Pass is super pro-consumer. I'm all torn up, dude. I don't know. I don't know what to think. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I feel like Xbox has been very pro-consumer within the past several years and just being able to see not only just with Game Pass, but just even like the deals that they offer from like discounted games or if you like sign up for like Xbox like live, like as like a yearly subscription, you always get like a free game like every month, which would be really cool to sometimes download. And sometimes they would have some pretty cool games that you could actually get access to. And I I question like, as you're noting, like being really skeptical around how Xbox or Microsoft is going to essentially push this forward is that same pro-consumerism going to translate over the next few years, especially as they look to just expand more out and then eventually like just strong arm like Sony? I would like to think so, considering like this is like a lot of the approach that they've taken. But now that they have the upper hand, I mean, they could really do some serious fuck shit too. Right. That's kind of where I'm at. Like, yeah. it feels like a, it could be a trap. <laughs> and I don't really have... It's a like, trap! <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I don't have like a super nuanced take on how they could pull that off but uh, again I, it just makes me nervous all this consolidation does because now especially like for indie devs on one hand game pass has been really great for them because if you put your game on game pass you can get a larger audience very quickly because people don't have to specifically buy your game they can just check it out because they have already have access to it but then on the flip side that becomes 
a restriction where it's like, oh, if you want to be successful as an indie developer, you have to get your game on Game Pass. And then that gives Microsoft all the bargaining chips against indie developers. So that said, I don't think Steam is going to go anywhere. I don't think they're going to change their business model anytime soon. So that will always be a place where indies can blow up in the PC gaming space. But I don't know, man. I will say purely at from a technologist or or technology interested person and a gaming interested person i'm really almost excited to see what happens next because i think whatever it is it's going to be very interesting but from a bleeding heart maniacal socialist communist whatever this is a lot of red flags to me so i don't know how to feel about it yeah i mean considering how the gaming industry has developed within the past 20 years Starting with things with like DLC, which I remember as gamers, like at least I could speak for myself and amongst other folks that we were really skeptical about and were pretty pissed off. Like, what do you mean? Like, there's not a full package game. But then we got really comfortable with the idea of the DLC and actually was kind of exciting. But then those started to get diluted and it was pretty frustrating to then see that you're getting like pretty much overcharged on just a really small amount of content maybe by like just an extra couple hours or just like some bullshit packaged in then eventually microtransactions came in which are still pretty fucked up and i think it's wild that some countries even have it banned and consider it as like gambling that's accessible to children but we still have it free and flowing here in the u.s and amongst many other countries and it's like yeah what what the fuck is going on here but yeah i think it's going to be a hodgepodge of pretty cool interesting innovative ways for gamers to be able to connect and play games but then i think there's also going to be some pretty fucked up and predatory ways to just try to like prey on like the consumer or like just strong arm smaller companies or indie developers and stuff yeah i think you're right i think there it i'll try to see more of the positive because here's the thing one way or another this is happening although i will say i forgot to mention it, there's a possibility that this deal will not go through. And the reasoning behind that is the FTC, I believe, still has to approve it. That will probably happen. There will be more resistance to this in the UK and in Europe where the kind of anti-monopoly laws are a little more strict. Like, for instance, right now, I, I saw when I was reading about this in the UK right now, there's a lawsuit going on that's trying to prevent Meta, aka Facebook's parent company, from acquiring Giphy or Jiffy, however you say it, because they, that is seen as a monopolization effort or something like that. So I hope that I hope that falls through because fuck Meta. I mean, it's like if, if I had to pick my least favorite corporation in existence, it's like, do I pick Meta or Amazon? It's like, well, I'm a prime member, so I do enjoy that dope two day packaging, despite how evil Amazon is. But I don't really give a fuck about Facebook or Meta. So there's just like. Fuck, fuck meta anyway <laughs> yeah there's a possibility this won't go through but i, I feel like it's it, more or less a done deal do you know of like what that timeline would look like in terms of approval like is that something that would be determined like in the coming months or even sooner no it'll be it'll be like a, a year plus out so again july or june of 2023 is when this deal is like set to go through and we'll know by then whether or not it's been approved okay i see what you mean so it's pretty yeah. long term but I think we'll we'll start to see some movement before then. Yeah. Honestly, it's uh it's pretty nuts to think about how big this is. Yeah. Yeah. This is huge. Um I'm not a big Activision Blizzard guy these days. I definitely played Call of Duty Modern Warfare back in 
2008 was like my first big multiplayer game that I played with like a lot of my buddies when we all got Xbox 360s. And I played a lot of Overwatch back in like 2016, 2017, maybe and had a pretty good time. Although that game is like the number one game to make me mad at my friends and myself. But are you a big Activision Blizzard guy? Not really. I mean, I did play quite a bit of Call of Duty, Modern Warfare, like one and two, a lot of online play with my friends. I mainly, the one I was really, really into though, in terms of multiplayer gaming, Gears of War, but that's because I hated myself. Uh, (laughs) So What does that mean? Oh, I mean, the Gears, the Gears community is so fucking toxic. Really? And like, even if like, I remember like one of my good friends at the time in high school, we would play Gears and like, obviously there would be the standard team deathmatch, like five on five, but then there would be duos and we would do duos and like, Oh my God, like the toxicity, like I would definitely be the beta and just every single time it would just be like, Danielle, what the fuck? And it'd be like, whoa, can we work as a team? Like not everything is like my fault to just show how toxic it was. My teammate one time played with another player and when the other player like fucked up, the guy yelled out my name. Oh my God. That's really bad. (laughs) (laughs) So that just kind of shows just how invested and toxic it is. All right, I got a little bit on a tangent, but no, mainly played like Call of Duty and honestly never really played any like Blizzard games. Saw like World of Warcraft a bit from like friends who would play it, but never really played Overwatch or anything. But I I definitely do fuck with the whole like team role, team co-op type thing that you use, like Apex, for instance. Yeah, I play personally play a lot of Valorant, which is kind of a similar team role thing. But (laughs) we talk about Riot games in the same way we're talking about Activision Blizzard. I've never played WoW. A lot of my really good friends have played it. and. They've told me that I would like it, which that might be true, but I've never really gotten into an MMO, massively multiplayer online game like WoW. And part of it is because I already get addicted enough to the games that I do play, even if it's like a single player game that has an end. So those games that are like live service games that the point of them is to keep you playing forever. If I ever played WoW, like I think it would end my life. So as self-care, I am not playing WoW and I will continue to not play WoW. To, to say nothing about the quality of it because like like i said a lot of my good friends really like it but yeah maybe do a face mask instead yeah <laughs> <laughs> i will say the ip that was absorbed in or could be potentially absorbed in a deal uh under activision would be like a lot of like the spyro and like crash bandicoot ip especially with like toys for bob fucking love that studio because they did an awesome job with the remakes that's activision i'm pretty sure that falls under activision wow yeah i think do we want to double check that let me double check. Yeah, Crash Bandicoot and Spyro could return now that Microsoft is acquiring Activision. Yeah, damn. I didn't even realize that. That's pretty big, too. Oh, Spyro or Spiro? Spyro. Okay. The dragon? I, I, I've i heard people pronounce it like two different ways. I've never heard Spiro before. I've always heard Spyro, but I wonder if it's like kind of like how like people say like Ikea here in the US, but it's not Ikea. What is it? Ikea. Ugh, I don't like that at all. You don't... <laughs> I bet you like them Swedish meatballs, though. <laughs> yo, you get the lingonberry sauce, boy. Yo, you know it's I over. Do. You know what I mean? <laughs> Actually, extremely random side note, talking about Ikea. I don't know if you've ever read any of Grady Hendrix's work. He's like a horror writer. You familiar? No, but that name is amazing. Yeah, Grady Hendrix. Yeah, it's dope. He wrote, so he, he was, he's been big recently because his uh, last two books have gone pretty, pretty huge. Uh, I think it's the the final girls support club and the southerners guide to killing van i can't remember the other one but the the final girl support club is 
his biggest one. His first big book was um, My Best Friend's Exorcism, but he wrote a book called Horror Store. Oh yeah, I, I actually do remember you mentioned that on the on the pod like several episodes ago. Yes, and it's it is about a a, a fictional IKEA analog where the IKEA store becomes haunted and some pretty fucked up stuff happens, and the book is modeled after like an IKEA catalog. It's a fantastic book. I highly recommend it. No, I definitely need to check that out. I just looked up some photos of Grady Hendrix. Man is a vibe. Really? Oh yeah. I need to check him out. He he did a interview. The uh, the last podcast on the left guys interviewed him one time, and he's he was I loved it. He sounds like such a nice guy and and funny as well. Very very humble. Yeah. No, that's awesome. So yeah. How do we get on that? Oh, Spyro. I'm pretty sure it's Spyro. I've never heard someone say Spyro before. But yeah. wow, they own that as well. That's nuts. Oh yeah, and that was what I was going to get on a little bit earlier when I was like Microsoft versus Xbox. Like, there's an idea that rather than integrating this all into Xbox, that Microsoft could just become like a, a publisher unto it itself and maybe they could continue publishing activision games for other platforms and it would be like microsoft gaming is the parent and then you've got xbox and you've got activision you've got other things like that we could a lot of different things could happen so we'll which find very well especially if like it's a really big ip like uh call of duty right yeah i think i've exhausted everything i had to say about it Do you have anything else not that i can think of as of right now but i think it's just kind of we'll wait and see and just see exactly how this all develops over the course of the next several years yep with bated breaths all right you want to take a quick break yeah let's do it and we're back we're back y'all so andrew you ready for another you with it or not oh shit i don't know am i ready i'm really curious to see what your thoughts are on this yeah which hold on before you do this i was having thoughts about this i think we need to we can still have the discussion but I think we have to come down with either we say I'm with it or we say nah. It's like last time we kind of waffled on it, but I feel like we have to, you have to pick one and then we can talk about it. <laughs> okay. Sounds good. Are you ready for me to ask you? Are you with it or nah? I guess we'll see. Well, after credit scenes in movies yeah. or nah, or nah. so specifically like if you're watching like a Marvel movie or a comic book movie or just whatever other types of movies, like I know, especially like they might have these in like the MonsterVerse movies with like Godzilla and stuff where it's like after the credits have rolled, you get that extra bit of like lore or kind of just sneak peek into how they're building a universe. Do you fuck with those? Damn, that's a tough one, actually, because on one hand, I do like how it hits different, right? Like that last scene, you got like a little bit of a break and then there's like a quick little like kind of thing like in a little, little afterward but I will say most recently I've been kind of annoyed like at the end of Spider-Man No Way Home there was a post credit scene or there's they've got like the MCU does it like mid credits where they have like the, the the pretty credits and then there's a scene and then they've got like the long you know black screen with the rolling white and then they have like an end credits scene and I waited through all of that shit to watch the quote unquote in credits scene after Spider-Man no way home. I had to pee so bad. <laughs> so I was like dying the whole time and then it starts and it was literally just a trailer for the next. It was a trailer for Dr. Strange and the, whatever the new movie is going to be. I was so pissed. It's like, I could have just watched this trailer online. Like this is not a special thing that I'm seeing. So in the, it, when I was sitting there, Spider-Man No Way Home? Nah. 
do not fuck with. I am not with it. But generally, I don't know. It can hit kind of right. I I, I got to come down on the side of Nana though. Just let me watch my movie and get out. Damn. Um, I was going to say I don't fuck with it. You don't fuck with it. I, okay. I don't. Yeah. Because like when they first started, it was really exciting. Yeah. It was so dope to just like sit there and be like, oh, like what's the next thing that they're going to like preview? Now it's like, honestly, can you just wrap that into the full package? Like I get it. Like if a movie ends and let's say it's something like Black Panther and you want to end it on a certain beat and note. Hey, I totally get that. Like, that's all part of the core storytelling of this one particular character. But at least maybe, as you noted, within a mid credits, maybe follow up really quickly with that to then actually like fully wrap it up. But a full after credit scene, I can't fuck with that anymore. I just think it's just kind of ridiculous to just add like this other extra little bit to just kind of put a little bit more oomph or connection into the series when you really could just speed it up and either put it into the actual movie at the end or literally just like follow up after like one or two minutes into like that kind of like mid credits where it's like more of this flashy, more poppy type credits. Totally agree. And you know what it kind of makes me think of is the idea of an encore at a show like a concert Mm. where now it's like everyone does an encore. Like, have you been to a show in the last decade where there was not an encore? I want to say, I think there was like maybe one or two artists. The shows weren't memorable, but I think I have had the experience of artists who have gone off without an encore and it was weird as yeah. fuck. So, so same, like maybe once or twice. I agree. And I, same thing. Like I remember, I know that it's happening because I remember being like, oh, that was weird, but I don't remember exactly the, the circumstances, but I kind of am like, so if it's a band I really love in particular, I obviously like, I love an encore, but at the same time, like just play the songs, just play the songs. And like, it kind of, I think it lessens the specialness of an encore when they just do it every time, as opposed to like, I don't know if this is how encore started. I don't know the history of encores, but it's like a show that's so rowdy and the fans are so hype about it that like they're yelling so loud that you as the band are like, ah, fuck, like let's just fucking do it. Let's go back out there. Let's get them a couple more. Like I'm having a great time. Whereas now it's like you play your show, you wave goodbye, you leave, the lights stay on, and then you come back out, you play a fan favorite, and then you play a new song, and then you leave. It's just so formulaic. Yeah, you know, the way I look at an encore is it feels like it should be more of a break for the artist nowadays. That's the way I at least interpret it. But sometimes artists will literally walk off, wait like a minute. Yeah. <laughs> like barely any time, and they'll just walk right back out. But as you know, historically, it's actually more... the fans are going so crazy that it's like yeah the band's gonna go back out and they're gonna play whatever one or two more songs but it literally feels like it is just like going with the flow it's just like part of the show in itself yeah but the way i kind of view it is like i think it's like actually now that artists probably just take a breather with it yeah that's fair you know it's funny as we're talking about this i think what what we really need and we're like pretty off topic and that's my fault at this point but movies and concerts just have intermissions bring back intermissions because your boy's got to pee dude i've got to pee let me go pee come back out and then i won't be so pissed that you're making me wait a little bit extra for some nonsense so but also like dude at concerts sometimes awkward like i'm old dude my feet hurt i want to go home <laughs> yeah honestly showing up for the opening act is not it anymore it's not it yeah like i really just want to see one act and dip yeah and back to the encore piece, like 
the energy is so fucking flat now when it happens. Like everyone just expects it to do. So yeah, then that needs to get revisited. That's what I mean, dude. Like yeah. it takes away the specialness. And that's kind of what I was getting at with the post credit scenes. It's like for the MCU, especially it's like, you know, it's going to happen. So it's not really as special when it does. And it almost, I think can make them the quality of them go down because to your point, like way back in the day, like 2008 or whatever, when Iron Man has you know Nick Fury comes on screens like I'm assembling a team like I went fucking nuts for that because it was so cool it was finally happening but now it's like oh we gotta have a post credit scene so it, it could just it's sometimes just like a joke which is fine but it's like you don't need to be keep doing these post credit scenes like I feel like it's they're just doing it to do it these days but I will say I, I haven't noticed them in, in really anything other than the mcu i don't think uh maybe some dc movies like suicide squad but yeah and like sometimes the occasional like random movie might try to like sprinkle that in if like they're trying to like hop off some new ip and stuff like that but definitely the mcu has it unlocked for the most part also just want to say intermissions definitely a fan of that yeah i mean imagine being at the like alamo draft house dude and you just get like a 10 minute intermission use the restroom check your phone Strike up a conversation with like whoever you're there with. Order another drink. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly. Yeah. I, I for movies in particular, like I, I don't know why they don't bring back intermission. I feel like that's such a cool I don't know, maybe there's some, you know, oh, we're losing money on this, but like it just seems like such a such a cool who's who's gonna be mad about that? I don't know. I don't know. Everybody get mad about everything. Everybody get mad. <laughs> who's gonna be mad? All of Twitter. Just everybody on Twitter is gonna be mad. Um, yeah, so I think I'm going to come down on the side of nah. I'm going to come down to the side of nah as well. Damn. Listeners, we will disagree at some point. One day. We'll find something. All right. You got some random lore for us? Yeah, you know, one of the things I really wanted to kick off with, saw this trending all across like social media when it had gotten announced, and especially with us growing up around this time and with a lot of folks really heavily like invested in just a lot of like love for these bands. It was pretty cool to see like this lineup. Uh, it's the, when we were young, it's the October festival that's going to be hosted in Las Vegas, which will include all sorts of like acts from my chemical romance, Paramore got all American rejects taking back Sunday. Shout out. Fucking love them. AFI, Jimmy eat world. And amongst many, many others. So a lot of like that alt rock scene, rock, type edgy music uh some even like email type music and wanted to kind of just hear like what were your thoughts as you saw that trending on social media and do you have any connection to any of that music or when that was really like popping off when we were younger yeah it's interesting i despite having talked about in previous episodes that i like music that's kind of angsty i somehow missed the emo rock scene part of that could be toxicity on my part as as a kid and the, the environment i was in where it was like oh seen as something that was too emotional or <laughs> all that is to say i didn't have a lot of connection to that growing up i still don't necessarily have a connection to some of those bands but as i've gotten older for instance things like paramore there's a couple paramore songs that like i fucking vibe to these days a lot i can't remember off the top of my head the names of those songs but there's like the one that like what's her name Haley from paramore the singer, she like won't even do it live because she's like, I don't know how I even managed to make that to to hit that note in the studio. What is that song? It's so fucking awesome. Uh, what I wanted was you. You know the song. You know what I'm talking about. I, 
I, I I think so, but I wouldn't know the name. Yeah, I don't know the name either. But she like I was a, I was a very casual listener. Paramore. Yeah, I mean, saying it's like a couple songs, but I fucking love those songs. And then Jimmy World was a pretty heavy rotation with my buddies and I, like heading to the beach and stuff because it's kind of got that like beachiness vibe to it. Not quite ska, but looking over the lineup, it was I could see how it was hitting a lot of people straight in the feels, but it was not. 100% my jam and I was also like how are you about to call a festival when we were young and not have the killers there that's a fucking crime in my opinion yo I am such a killer stan fucking love them especially when I was younger so yeah yeah, yeah that is a really good point because I mean that's like one of the like biggest songs from our like generation yeah like yes exactly so I don't know what about you did you have connections to that stuff yeah, you know, uh, for the most part, definitely. My Chemical Romance really fucked with their music a lot. Even like before, like Welcome to the Black Parade came out, I was always like spinning them in heavy rotation. Uh, really love Taking Back Sunday as well. Jimmy Eat World is, uh, I would definitely listen to them pretty often. And then other than that, I kind of started to stray off that path and more into some like more definitely like alternative or niche music around that that was more subgenre. So I fucked with bands like The Fall of Troy which they were really famous for their song like FCPK like remix but I think you would actually fuck with them Andrew they're like super fast experimental rock and like you kind of like your mind starts to melt listening to them if you really like a lot of like noise metal they're not noise metal necessarily but they're definitely something around like noise rock noise metal type thing where it's like really fast experimental like music and then uh, another band that I like that was more emo rock was Chiodos definitely fucked with them as well and they were pretty experimental yeah i'm not familiar with either uh, that does sound uh, what the first band was what, what was their name oh uh the fall of troy the fall of troy and then um more in the vein of like i guess like more emo kind of like metal music this was more like glam rock i would say at, at a certain point but like was a really big fan of escape the fate but like the first escape the fate i think their music prior to the whole like murder charge of like Ronnie Rock Raddick Ooh. and stuff like that. Dope music. So yeah. It was a complicated situation. He was <laughs> <laughs> it was like a story. He was like with someone who killed somebody, but because he was in the general area, he kind of got pinned to it. It was kind of complicated and messy. But before that happened, yeah, that escaped the fate super fucking dope. Damn dude. I gotta I gotta look at the lineup real quick because I just want to see if there's anything else in there that is going to ring any bells to me. Also, I just want to say funny thing about um the My Chemical Romance is they were definitely probably even like the poster child for that like anti like that toxic vibe from my high school where they were like, oh, if you listen to that, like that's not cool. But even though even through that toxicity that I definitely internalized as a kid, when Black Parade came on, I was fucking vibing. Dude, that song rock. That, that song kicks ass. Oh, my God. It's so good. And you know, what's so sad. Everybody at your high school, they're, they, you know, they're knocking it and everything. They were listening to that shit at home. Yeah, dude, I bet they were. And then also I've got a lot of respect for like a couple of buddies of mine who were like skateboarding guys back in the day and like had like AFI stickers on their shit and like unapologetically did listen to that stuff. And still, you know, they were themselves. I have a lot of respect looking back for people who in my high school managed to retain like an individual individual personality, whereas I feel like I was kind of always trying to like suppress mine you know I've, I've i've joked before that i was an in the closet anime enjoyer which i think was the truth i was like so horrified that people would find out that i like dragon ball z which was like 
the fucking that's like the best show ever made maybe <laughs> i mean that's that's not true but um <laughs> i have no shame in admitting that i'm a dragon ball z fan wait i gotta ask you andrew so uh did you have like a bus cut in high school i didn't have a buzz cut but i mean for one thing my high school had a hair policy like you couldn't have your hair couldn't touch your collar or oh, that's go fucking over stupid but yeah, I know. Wow. Was military, but and and to be clear to, to viewers, I think I've said this before, but it was it, it was like a normal high school that just happened to have a military aspect to it. Like I didn't live there or anything. But um in some ways it was very, very buttoned up. But yeah, I'm sure I had short I did have shortish hair, way shorter than I have now for sure. Yeah. yeah. I'm trying to picture that. <laughs> I could show you some pictures. I was not I was a goofy looking kid. <laughs> my like limbs grew before the rest of my body did, so I was just like a I was I was a goofy kid. I'll just I'll say that. Oh, you were like Mr. Fantastic kind of? Uh more like Mr. Bean. <laughs> Love that. That's uh, amazing. I'm, I'm looking at the rest of this this lineup now. I think that those are really the only things that um have really hit home for me. I've got a couple friends who were huge into bright eyes and always trying to get me into bright eyes and I'm like, nah. But Yeah, bright eyes wasn't for me either. Yeah. Kind of get into them as well. Oh yeah, and it's being thrown by the same people who did Astro World. I know a lot of people are kind of some people are seeming to believe that this is kind of like a fire festivalish scam because it's like too good to be true, and it's all like I think it's now two days. It's in Las Vegas. It's definitely got some some weird vibes around it, but I don't know if it's like fire festival level. Oh, did it change from one day to two days? Yeah, I think I saw that like oh, okay. earlier today. Yeah. I actually didn't know it was run from the same people. Wow, that might be a shit show to definitely experience, or not experience, I'm not going to go, but to witness. <laughs> but yeah, Astro World went, like, that That happened for many years prior to this year's shenanigans, right? What, th- this particular concert? Well, Astro World was like, a, was this the first Astro World? Oh, no. I think Astro World, at least concerts coming together, had happened at least, I think, a couple times. Okay. I think this past Astro World was, like, the biggest. Gotcha. I well, could be wrong on that, but I'm pretty positive, like, Travis Scott has been like developing his kind of like festival lineup. You got it. Just to go back real quick, shouldn't call what happened there shenanigans. It was more like the tragedy that happened in Astro World rather than shenanigans. But anyway, yeah, it's not like there were like banana peels and stuff like. Jesus Christ! Oh wow, glorious! All right. Well, I just wanted to bring up briefly. Were you done? I do have one more, but do you want to go back and forth on them? Yeah, yeah. I wanted to bring up briefly kind of what's been going on with Joss Whedon. Um, I meant to do more reading on this and maybe even potentially make it our main topic. I didn't end up doing that partly because I like couldn't bring myself to read more about Joss Whedon. But if you did not see, there was a couple of big articles, one advice, uh, the main one being in Vulture about Joss Whedon and kind of the reckoning that he's experienced. I think he's, there's been for years now, there's been stuff going on about him being kind of a toxic director and kind of a, having sexual misconduct going on. And there was this big Vulture article about him where they interviewed him and he was extremely open about things and it seemed like he was thinking that being open about them was going to clear his name but he ended up just making an ass out of himself by saying things like oh I had no choice but to sleep with those women on my set and cheat on my wife because these were beautiful women that were available to me that weren't available to me when I was a nerdy kid and I felt like I'd always regret it if I didn't take advantage of it. And it's like, okay, so you're telling me that you slept with women on your set and cheated on your wife because you were afraid you'd regret it if you didn't? That's not a great look. That's not a great excuse, my guy. So didn't look good on him. Um, and there's a lot of people also 
kind of talking about the effect Joss Whedon has had on like writing in general, the way that Joss Whedon dialogue sounds, do you know kind of like the stereotype of that? Well, typically it's like really like stunted, doesn't feel natural in the least bit. It's like, you know, if I think Buffy was the first, because I think that was Joss Whedon, I think it was the first one to kind of popularize it where like a monster will show up and do something weird and someone's like, oh, that just happened. Or can you believe it? Or oh, are you serious? It's very like <laughs> meta, like, oh yeah, I know. We can't believe this weird shit's happening either kind of dialogue that maybe was funny and interesting in like a couple of movies, but now it's like it, it happens so often and it's so grating to me personally, at least where I'm like, just you're in this world like, allow the characters in this world to just believe the things that are happening. Like you don't have to constantly, it like cuts the rug out from underneath things where it's like, I don't know. I'm, I'm pretty good at suspending my disbelief when I'm watching a movie. You don't have to have a character like look at me and wink and be like, yeah, I know. Isn't this ridiculous? But anyway, yeah, no, that, that really is frustrating to see, especially in a movie where it's like, can we just have some more immersion? Really? Yeah. So yeah, yeah, exactly. Also just to run back to that comment about, Joss Whedon saying, I would regret it if I didn't take this chance to cheat on my wife. Do you do you think he like rehearsed that shit in the mirror? <laughs> like, I hope like not, dude. That, that that's crazy. That is a crazy thing to just say in like a uh, interview that you're trying to like quote unquote clear your name. Yeah. You know, I, I don't know. <laughs> right. <laughs> like it'd be one thing if it was like he said that and he was like, I know, that was stupid, right? But that's what I was telling myself at the time. But no, it was like that was his serious reasoning for like hoping he would clear his name i don't know dude yeah i don't have a lot of love lost for joss whedon personally so i do not either and obviously with like a lot of the things that have come out just incredibly toxic relations uh with his actors as well i mean they fucking hate him Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. yeah he seems like an asshole so i don't want to dedicate any more time to talking about him i just wanted to bring that up good article in vulture check it out yeah no no for sure well, then moving on to the next bit for random lore, really want to give a shout out to uh, Mac Miller, a.k.a. the Rap Diablo. His birthday was on January 19th and he would have turned 30th. And a lot of folks in the music community pretty much just like took honor and like really just like reflected and remembered him not only as like a person, but also just his musical impact in the world. And yeah, just really want to say like it's pretty surreal to just think that. Yeah, it's been a few years when Mac Miller died. Like that had a big impact on me just because he was one of my favorite artists in the game. And I feel like he had so much more that he really could have like contributed. But it is remarkable the body of work that he did leave behind. Do you fuck with uh, Mac Miller? I'm going to bring more shame on my name, D. I, I have no, I don't even know what his music sounds like, man. Oh, hey, no worries. No worries. No knock. Yeah, you know, Mac Miller like started off with pretty much like frat rap coming out of the internet era. And he was like one of the first artists to really kind of find the way to like, kind of not game the system. Cause there really wasn't even a system yet, but just use the internet to market himself and promote his like own, like mixtapes right out of like Pittsburgh and really just like rose up really quickly from like mixtape to mixtape, eventually just dropping like official album releases and really started to shift his whole persona and career once he dropped this one album called Watching Movies with the Sound Off. And it started to get really trippy, introspective, and like just really hard-hitting bars that were like really snappy and witty in general. And just from there, like his music just continues to blossom. 
I'll say this, Andrew, if you want like at least a good initial wreck to just kind of like dip your feet into his music, I think Faces is one of his best body of work. And it was like one of his mixtapes that he released later on into his career, but it is now on Spotify. Highly recommend it. Yeah. So uh, it's interesting that you you say that because that did make some bells ring for me because I can remember kind of hearing about Mac Miller and kind of having this idea of him as being like when you said frat rap, kind of that like a less serious artist. But then I, I do remember when he died, a lot of people having these very sincere, heartfelt things to say about him. And it, it definitely made it seem like his music was a lot more thoughtful and a lot more emotional than I the impression that I had gotten. So it does make sense now that you're saying that maybe he started off a little bit less, I don't know, serious or whatever, and then and kind of uh, got more, I don't know, interesting or, or complex or however as he, as he went on. Um, I will check it out. Yeah, I yeah. appreciate that. And yeah, you know, I mean, Mac Miller has gotten like recognition and acknowledgement from the biggest names of rap history from like Kendrick Lamar to Jay-Z. Shit, even I remember when he passed, like Elton John even did a song in his honor. Well, yeah, that's very cool. Yeah, I'll have to check him out. But um, yeah, that's it for random lore from me. Now that some time has passed, what have you been fucking with? What have I been fucking with? So two main things that I've been fucking with recently, and it's funny because they both have something in common where you know, there's certain types of media, you know, be it movies, books, TV, video games that have you, when you are finished with them, running to the internet to go read and be like, what the fuck did I just experience? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. I know what you're talking about. So I finished Evangelion a couple nights ago. That was a fucking trip. Something worth noting about the original series is the studio ran out of funding before making the last two episodes. So the last two episodes are tonally and narratively and visually totally out of left field. It's a huge what the fuck. And a lot of watchers were super pissed off about it. And they sent a lot of hate mail in to the studio and the director. And so a couple years later, they, due to the success of the series, filmed a, I don't know if filmed, but created a movie called End of Evangelion, which they then released at a, you know, studio or a a theatrical release that did super well and it kind of tells the end in a way closer to what had been originally envisioned and that is more consistent with the rest of the series so i also watched that and um man that's some weird stuff dude i don't really know how else to put it there's a lot going on in that series it's definitely one of those things that's got me questioning like was this deep or was this just wild There's a lot of, I would say, ultimately, I still recommend watching it if it's something you're interested in. I think visually it's stunning in many ways and the, the direction and like the, the animation, like some of the things they do are really interesting. Just don't expect to finish watching it and be like, oh word, like that made sense. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, (laughs) it's, it's some wild shit or, or, you know, it makes a certain amount of sense, but it's like not necessarily particularly satisfying in some ways. So I finished that wild fucking trip. And then also last night I finished playing Inscription, which I think I did. I bring that up last episode. It sounds familiar. I wonder if you bought it up off air or maybe maybe you have bought it on air. I'm not. I don't think you have. I don't. Okay. so Inscription is a PC game on Steam that got a lot of buzz last year, especially in game of the year season. Um, It was a lot of a lot of folks had it as their game of the year. It is hard to talk about without spoilers because kind of the the biggest 
the reasons why this game is like such a buzz is because of some wild shit that happens in it um, at kind of the halfway point and then again later on. The best way I could describe it is a horror-adjacent deck-building game where you're playing like a card game against someone or something that seems to be doesn't if you lose you'll die basically and and then it fucking goes some places from there that i i really can't even begin to get into but it like the plot as well as the gameplay shifts wildly at a certain point and then it uh, does it again later and it is extremely interesting it i would say personally i loved it from start to finish. I do think for a lot of people, the the first section of the game, they, they call it, they say there's act one, act two, act three, act one was probably my favorite. And they are releasing a mod for the game or a, a, an update for the game. That'll allow you to play the game from act one infinitely, which will be cool because it's a cool card game, but I still enjoyed it in act two and act three. And I ultimately found it to be like a really cool game. Like I, I stayed up last night cause I had to finish it. I had to find out what happens. I think it was like a, maybe 12 hour game. It wasn't super long. It was awesome. Really enjoyed it. But it also had me sent go into the internet to find out. Cause there's like some secrets to the game, even beyond what I saw that, that people on the online have like decoded some shit. So that was pretty cool too. But yeah. Oh no, that's really cool. Um, and yeah, you actually have talked about it with me, I think offline. Okay. So this is definitely a good rec for the listeners. And I have heard a lot about that game as well. Yeah. So, yeah. It's very cool. What about yourself? You know, I've been um, crushing through a lot of things. Uh, I'll probably mention about two to three, though. But uh, one of the things that I saw recently for the first time I've been meaning to get around to watching it was Hustlers. Are you familiar with that movie? That's with Jennifer Lopez, right? Yeah, Jennifer Lopez, uh, Constance Wu. And then also you have uh, Kiki Palmer in there as well. Absolutely love the movie. Shot really well. Has a really lot of really good visual setups and lighting as well. And then also just the choreography is like really stunning at times when obviously you see like a lot of the dancing going on. As a quick recap, it's based on like a true story and it's essentially about dancers in New York City who work at this particular strip joint that at the club they start to like really bring in like this whole system of trying to like scam off like kind of wall street like really wealthy like uh folks around like getting them drugged up through like i think a mix of like ketamine and i uh, i think molly was the other thing normally right and pretty much getting them into like the club and then like maxing out credit cards or corporate cards and stuff like that and obviously it starts to get a little bit unraveled as like eventually it creates like a paper trail and stuff like that so it just kind of goes into like a before and after effect but the movie's incredibly well shot performances are really really dope and really love how they actually handle a lot of like the dark content and matter in a way that like kind of shows both perspectives to like the side in the story so it feels really like well bodied and like well balanced but just absolutely loved the cast. Uh, JLo really was in her bag, just like cooking like folks left and right on screen. So it was really, really dope. And one of the things that I loved about the movie was the audio choices that they do throughout. There's one scene where like one of the dancers actually gets caught and gets flipped into a sting. So she has to wear wire. And when she activates the wire and then eventually like the other dancers join in the room with her and they're like talking plans the entire audio of the scene is as if you're hearing it through the wire. Oh, cool. So it's just like moments like that, that I just love when a movie just goes for it and just makes like creative choices. So 
really dope film, especially if you like to like look out for stuff like that. Yeah. The other thing I've been fucking with is Peacemaker, which is on HBO. Uh, that's James Gunn's like follow up from like the Suicide Squad and pretty much is a continuation of the story, but specifically with Peacemaker, who's played by like John Cena. And the comedy is absolutely absurd as well as like the combat in it. So I'll just note, like, if you really fucked with the Suicide Squad, you will absolutely love Peacemaker. And I've been having, like, a blast with it. Like, howling, laughing, practically. So, and I also love that it's pretty stupid, too. It's, like, stupid funny. So. Yeah. I saw some folks saying that they thought it was even better than Suicide Squad. Because I watched Suicide Squad, the, the the newer one, the James Gunn one. And I enjoyed it. I thought it was a fun movie. Like, not, I didn't think it was, like, a the best movie that I'd seen or whatever. But, like, it was fun. And then I saw people talking about Peacemaker online and being like, it is even better, even more like ridiculous than the movie was. So, yeah. Oh, no, no. 100%. And one thing I'll even say, it's even darker than the Suicide Squad. Damn. Okay. It definitely is not afraid to get into all sorts of like uh, hot button topics. And it's it's really fun. So I love it. And then amongst other things, the the other thing that I'll just note is we were talking about Microsoft earlier. Uh, there was like a whole backwards compatibility sale. So picked up a couple games. Uh, haven't gotten through all of them yet, but I've been playing with the first original Skate, which has been really fun. I mean, that's one of the best skateboarding games, I think, to ever come out or just series in general. Super pumped for the new one to come out in like a year or two. And then I've been playing through Max Payne 3, mm. and that has just been really dope and forgot how hard that game is yeah so that's been that's been a lot of fun i've never played the max Payne games but i've heard that they're pretty cool yeah you know i never would got on the max Payne train to play like the first two so it was actually the third one that i got around to actually playing um so that's really my one and only introduction to it but it's essentially when you play it 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 plays nothing like grand theft auto or anything it's like very structured levels it's not realistic, but it's like realistic in the sense where you can't just go out guns blazing. You have to be very intentional around where you're going to pick your spots and like kind of engage in like a shootout. And then you have this like bullet time thing that's very Max Payne like. And it's just like a really gritty noir story. And it's just something that Rockstar just did really well. Cool. Yeah, I saw that sale that they did. That was that's pretty cool. I, I appreciate that Microsoft seems to give a shit about like their old content versus Sony who does not. Yeah, uh, a couple of the other games I had picked up was Fear 2 and Bioshock Infinite. Oh, hell yeah. I played through, or I, a girlfriend in college played through Bioshock Infinite, like, with me. Like, I kind of watched her and, and played in a couple sections. That's a cool game. I think people didn't like it as much at the time because it was very different from the original Bioshocks that were, like, in the, um, whatever the city underwater was. But I thought it was neat. And, like, there were some aspects to it that are, like, very, very cool. Uh, visually and and directorially but yeah no i hear that i mean when i first played bioshock infinite i fell in love with the game and it's actually my favorite bioshock word yeah fucking bird man that thing is freaky yeah it's disturbing yeah also the ending just blew my fucking mind yeah it was wild yeah it was like my first introduction to something where it's like kind of like the whole paradox like time thing and i was like what (laughs) (laughs) that's dope yeah, so that's all I have for now. All righty. Well, is it that yeah, time? I think it's time to get into obituary of the week. But for this week specifically, it's going to be obituaries. Mm. And want to definitely give a shout out to Meatloaf, the famous singer, uh, famous for singing Bad Out of Hell, amongst many other songs and albums that were rock opera inspired. 
he had died at the age of 74. And then at the age of 68, Louis Anderson, of course, actor and comedian as well, uh, who has cherished us with so many shows, movies, and then of course, all sorts of comedy content. Did you have any connections with like Meatloaf or Louis Anderson and Reflections, Andrew? You know, I I'm, was very aware of Louis Anderson, but really have not experienced much of his his work. I I know that he was on that show on FX Baskets where he played Zach Galvanax's character's mother, I believe. And I know a lot of people really enjoyed his role there, and a lot of people really liked him in general. But I I don't I can't say that I really am familiar with his work. And then I mean Meatloaf. I, I know I would do anything for love, but I won't do that. Obviously, is a huge cultural song, so I'm aware of that, but um, wasn't a huge Meatloaf listener either. Yeah, um, I can't say I was a huge Meatloaf listener, but definitely is nostalgic for me because just growing up, especially like, you know, Spanish household, Saturday morning, got to clean the house, so you put the music on, and mm. my parents, they definitely would... uh put a lot of like really interesting music in rotation a lot of like rock music r&b and stuff and meatloaf was always in the constant rotation so definitely had a joy like always listening to like his tracks and music uh with my parents and uh my mom's like a huge meatloaf uh lover <laughs> that's so funny to say <laughs> but um yeah so just have like a an appreciation for his music because i definitely like grew up with it a bit and then for Louis Anderson, I've seen like some of his shows like here and there, especially some from like the mid to late 90s. But really, the thing with more recently, I actually crushed through baskets like a year ago. I'm I'm kind of lukewarm on the show. I love the first season. And then I think it goes directions that it, I don't know if it necessarily resonated with me. Still good enough that I still watch the whole series. But the best part of the whole show is definitely Louis Anderson playing Mama Baskets. Absolutely fucking crushes it. Word. Man, I'll have to check it out. It, it's kind of a strange looking show, which I think is part of what's kept me away from it. Because I know I talked last episode about I have a super low tolerance for cringe. And the show kind of gave me a the vibe that it was going to be heavy on the cringe humor. So I've, I've stayed away. Is that true? Yeah, I mean, the show definitely does work into like some cringe. But I would say like the characters are so they're so unapologetically themselves that it's like they they don't even feel shame for themselves in a way to kind of describe it. So like there is like this cringe factor, but it's not like you're experiencing the awkwardness from the other supporting characters or extras in a scene, if okay. that kind of makes sense. Yeah, it kind of does. Yes, because a lot of times the cringe comes from like experiencing the people around them kind of shirking away from them. So if everyone's just like weird and accepts their weirdness, then that's it's just a weird show, not a cringe show. Yeah, I mean, for the most part, I mean, honestly, it's a pretty sad show because, like, uh, Chip is, like, the main character. He's, like, Chip Baskets. He's, like, this wannabe clown but really can't just, like, break through. Yeah, it's brutal. Yeah, he's just really fucking sad. Mm. He's, like, he's like a sadder version than, like, Pagalachi. But, Doctor, I am Pagalachi. <laughs> Which I actually found out is a fucking opera. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Damn, that's... It's an opera about a really sad clown that goes insane when he finds out that his, like, wife is having an affair and uh he kills her jesus christ so yay next time that's on tour we definitely got to get tickets andrew Dude, for sure man. <laughs> absolutely we'll do an episode about it <laughs> i do want to just shout out a couple things i saw about meatloaf really just one thing i saw about meatloaf and also i want to shout out the fact that back in the 80s and 90s the world was so different that you could be a dude named meatloaf 
You couldn't be a dude named Meatloaf now. You couldn't start your career and be like, yo, I'm Meatloaf and be a serious musician, which he was. Mm, I kind of challenge that. Yeah. People have some weird names nowadays. Like Meatloaf? Like who? Well, okay. I don't know. Like, like exactly like Meatloaf, but people be doing the shit with like the numbers in their names and stuff. But like, like, okay, that's like a different, like that's weird. But like Meatloaf is just like, that's just a dish that you can eat for dinner. It's like a, it's almost mundane in its weirdness. You know, it's not like. It's not so much strange. It's just like, like if I'm, if I suddenly was like, yo D like check out my, my music, I go by hamburger, <laughs> right? You can't just do that. My next question would be like, Hey, like what type of genre do you make? That's cool. Oh, it's a uh, hamburger core. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So as I've been stalling, trying to like make time for myself to think of it, I can't think of any serious artists yeah. right now with, yeah. a, with a dish. Yeah. Love to hear from y'all viewers. Who do you think uh, is a modern artist with a name that is similar in nature to Meatloaf? Email us at loreoftheweek at gmail.com or hit us up on Instagram or Twitter at loreweek. But yeah, the one story I saw about Meatloaf that I really loved was, um, I'm sure people, we could have even talked about it here, people have heard about Prince Andrew or the former Prince Andrew of the English royal family who has now been, I think, ejected from the royal family because he was a pervy-ass dude who was always hanging out with, oh, what's his name? Epstein, Jeffrey Epstein. He was, he's a creep, and he's been a creep for years, and it's the royal family knew, and now he's gotten a lot of press for being creeps that they kicked him out but in the like 80s or 90s he was at a party with meatloaf and he was creeping on i want to say meatloaf's wife and or he like was trying to throw meatloaf's wife in the pool i I can't remember but basically meatloaf got all up in his face and he was like i'm gonna throw you it was a moat it wasn't a pool he's like it was a moat meatloaf got all up and he was like i'm gonna throw you in the moat and prince (laughs) andrew's like i'm prince andrew and he's like i don't give a fuck who you are if you fuck with my wife you're going in the moat (laughs) and then i think someone broke up the fight before he tossed him in the moat unfortunately but it was just like such a badass line for meatloaf that i really gotta appreciate that only in the fucking uk can you say shit like that yeah dude i'm gonna throw you in the fucking moat (laughs) wait so like as a real moat i'm i'm very curious because i imagine there's probably a lot of myths versus like reality yeah like when creating a moat is it like kind of something like people would try to make it dangerous like if you fall into it because isn't it sometimes like you see it like in like movies or tv it's like there's like alligators and shit in there but <laughs> i don't think there's gonna be alligators in there but is i mean it just- if you wanted to be a good moat you got to put alligators in oh. it. i don't know um i don't know if there were alligators in like old and medieval england or whatever but i think the moats mostly just like keep people from storming your castle right and maybe if you have access to alligators you can put them in there but i don't know yeah and it's not like someone it's literally just there for the defense purposes it's not like it's like yeah you know gonna go take a dip in the moat right (laughs) (laughs) you're not gonna get out (laughs) exactly damn all right well we've been joined by nelly the dog so i think she's trying to tell me that we are done for yeah. the day. yeah yeah well hey nelly thanks for keeping us in check yeah appreciate it appreciate it girly um all right thanks everyone for listening thank you to sean moore for the use of our theme song really want to know also want to shout out my internet friend chase of the video the podcast video game podtimism who helped me out with cleaning up the audio in our last episode it's very cool he's a co-listener of another video game podcast into the aether yeah thanks for listening everybody and um get that get that fresh lore on the get that get that fresh lore get the baby. fresh lore baby <laughs> take care man. later yeah.